Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. It's all about the previews this Friday. We'll take a look at the Winnipeg Ice doubleheader with the Calgary Hitmen with Mitch Peacock, the voice of the ice, previewing the Australian Open with Tennis Manitoba's Mark Arndt and the NFL title games. The betting preview, the power parlay special with Philly from Power Mornings. He's a big Niners fan. He's very nervous on the podcast. Now the Winnipeg Ice continue their marathon nine-game homestand this weekend against the Calgary Hitmen. Both games at Wayne Fleming Arena. Both games live right here on 680 CGOB starting at 7.30 p.m. each night. Here to preview the action is the voice of the ice, Mitch Peacock. Before we get to the action, Mitch, just I want your perspective as a broadcaster, the fact that you, you really don't have to leave Winnipeg in the month of January. Is it nice to be able to spend pretty much the whole month off the road at home? <laughs> it's certainly very unusual. I'll tell you that, Kirsten. I, I can't recall coming across something like this where a team is home for that long. I mean, it's essentially four weeks and nine games and, uh, it's uh, it's it's unique and uh, in some ways very nice. And in others, uh, there's a rhythm to a season, and it feels like that rhythm is is being messed with. But I guess as far as the ice are concerned, uh, so far so good, and and really important that they take care of the remaining games. So the two coming up this weekend, they've got Calgary back to back. Just first, the nature of playing a team twice in two days does it change the dynamic of how you go into it? Or certainly, the second game's going to be a lot different from the first, right? Yeah, you know, you make a good point. Um, I talked with Ben Zelotti today, a uh, young defenseman with the ice who's having a terrific season, and I asked him about that, and he said there's certainly things that you, you sort of read in playing a game the first night that you can adjust to in playing them the second night, and uh, that's an important part of, I guess, giving yourself a best opportunity to be successful in that second game is just how well you read off of that first game. And then I, I think there's another component to the matchup this weekend, which is that uh, Calgary is on a really busy stretch here. They played in Swift Current uh, on Wednesday. They play in Brandon tonight. So they're going into what is a 3-3 three and three or a 4-5. and five. And uh, so, you know, their approach to that Saturday, or excuse me, that Sunday game is probably going to be a little bit different as well. They're, they're going to be a little bit in survival mode by then. They're already dealing with some injuries. So uh, that's another sort of uh, aspect of, of what's going to be going on as these two teams square off uh, Saturday and Sunday. I guess from the ice standpoint, when they know a team's coming and maybe a tiny bit tired, you got to avoid the urge to take it a little bit off your own game. Absolutely. No, they've got to be pedal to the metal. Uh, they know how important these games are. And you talked right off the top, Christian, about the nine-game homestand and the extended stay at home here. They know that it's unique, but they also know and feel a bit of responsibility to capitalize on it, uh, especially given what's to come. They've got three trips out west, you know, in a very short period of time coming up here, going into some really tough places to play like Edmonton, like Calgary, uh, like Lethbridge, like Medicine Hat. So uh, they they can't be, you know, taking their foot off the pedal against anybody here. And I think it's a really good sign that they were able to stay with it in the game against Red Deer and pull away. And again, uh, overcome a bit of a slow start in the game against Prince George and pull away. Uh, it suggests that they, you know, they understand that, that, that they can't be messing around with these games. So the Winnipeg Ice are 42 games in, 26-15-1. You weren't part of the the crew at the very start of the season, but through most of the season here, Mitch, have they exceeded the expectations that you maybe had going into this? Well, I'm not sure that I had any expectations. (laughs) You know, to be honest, I I was returning to the league after being away for almost 20 years, 
Uh, I knew that the team had a, a very young core, that they were giving some players an opportunity to get experience last year learning on the job. Uh, I knew that there was a sense that they had learned well on the job and that once they got Peyton Krebs back, uh, their team would probably take another step forward. Um, but I, you know, I just I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. Um, but they have gotten better and better as the season's gone on. And in fairness to Matt Cockle and, and the hockey operations side of things, uh, really they're at a place now, well, except for the injury to Connor McClellan, where they were just getting everybody together for the first time, really. And um, so, you know, I, I think they believe in what they started a few years back, what they've been building. Uh, I think they had a confidence coming in that there was potential there. And, um, you know, they, they found a, a bit of a groove. And, and then, you know, really, I think significantly, the parts that they added have been real difference makers. When you look at the 20-year-olds that they've added, when you look at the imports that they've brought in, really supplemented that young core that they gave the chance to the last year, year and change. So um, I think they had expectations within. And uh, I think they're also uh, feeling good about where they're at to get to see where they can where they can take this down the stretch. Yeah, the acquisition of Dawson Barteau at the trade deadline. You bring in Red, your captain. You bring in a captain of any team and add him to yours. Obviously, that's going to be a big impact, and it shows that the ice are kind of going for it here this year. Yeah, and Matt Cockle made a very interesting comment, really unprompted, when I talked to him about the trade. He he talked about the fact that you know the the, the players by their performance and by their commitment and by the results really sent a message to him that, Hey, you know, we're ready. If you can give us a little help, maybe we can do something special here. So he felt, uh, I don't know if responsibility is the right word, but he felt that, you know, the players were saying, Hey, we've done our part. Is there any way you can help us out? And uh, he certainly has. And, you know, getting a feel for just how the trade is reverberating around the league. I really get the sense that this was one of the most sought after, if not the most sought after, piece on the market and they were able to bring him in here without taking anybody off their roster and without giving up a first round draft pick and so uh, they feel that they've done a good piece of business and and brought in a really quality player that jumps right into their top pair and and suddenly you've got an excellent player like Reese Harsh who spent the whole season on that top pair now working in the second pair it really gives you some strength on the blue line and again you know referring to the injury to Connor McLennan I, I think it's even more important now when you're missing the team's top scorer. How important has stability been in the crease for the ice here as they've really turned the corner this last month or two? Well, it's been gigantic. I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, as you know, there were uh, some injury concerns. Uh, Jesse McKay was out with mononucleosis. Uh, Some players that were young were getting an opportunity but weren't quite ready. Uh, So there was a lot of uncertainty there in the team. I wouldn't say the team was having success despite its goaltending, but maybe some results that they could have had weren't there for them as a result of uh, of inexperience or maybe just not um, executing at a high level in goal. Uh, but they've, they've, they've got a piece now in a player like Liam Hughes, who's been around the league, who's played in some different situations, who, who you know, they're pretty, they're pretty much isn't anything that's going to surprise them. Plus, he's got that level-headedness, that even keel back there that relaxes the team. And I guess most importantly, he's stopping pucks at a rate of, you know, around 92% right now. And, and so, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward when, when you're sub 900 with your save percentage and somebody comes in at 920, uh, you, you found another gear and uh, it's made a difference, uh, contributed to an already improving penalty kill and just given the team a confidence to go and play. And uh, I think that uh, that made, has made a, a real difference. Well, you, you look at December, it was their best month record wise. And, uh, and they've done a really good job coming out of the holiday break as well. So, 
um, Liam Hughes has been a great addition and, and, and really got, I talked about his even keel, but around practices, he's just got that great mentality where he, on the one hand, he'll battle for every shot. And on the other hand, he's making jokes and having fun with the guys. And I think he's just been a, a really good influence to the, to the spirit of the team. With McLennan out, you alluded to his injury. Obviously, it sucks to lose your leading score at any time, but especially for what's probably going to be close to, if not the entire rest of the regular season. Who has to step up now to fill that void? Well, you know, I think they're fortunate in that regard, Christian, because they've got a lot of depth up front and they've got some real scoring ability. So there are players who can can step up and, and make a difference. Um, and I don't think that any one person could do it anyway, because Connor was having such a sensational season. But Michael Tepley just, you know, has jumped up onto that top line. Uh, he's got points in his last five games. He's a very capable player coming off an excellent World Junior Championship with the Czech Republic. So you've got an, uh, you know, you're fortunate to have somebody like that around. Isaac Johnson is having a sensational season. I mean, I think he's gone under the radar. Uh, and really performing as a 20-year-old and, and being able to make things happen, not only five-on-five, five, but on the power play. Um, Peyton Krebs is a chance-making machine. And if you've had a chance to see him play in person uh, or follow the games elsewhere, you know uh, that, that you know he. it doesn't seem to matter who he's playing with. They're going to get opportunities, so there's that. And then, you know, they've, they've got a very good third line. Uh, you know, Jake and Smallwood uh, is having a really good season as a sort of a Swiss Army knife for the team, playing in a million different spots. And, and now he's going to be on that third line, uh, you know, probably working with people like Mike Milne. And, uh, you know, it, I would think uh, another component of that line would be, uh, you know, Kinder. And so, you know, you've got guys there that can contribute goals when the other two lines get taken care of. So I think there's some real possibilities. Um, but then, you know, you start to get into things that change in the power play and, and maybe that's where you feel as much as anything. Well, Mitch, I appreciate your time tonight. Have fun on the call this weekend, and uh, we'll keep staying tuned every day for your uh, ice time reports. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Christian. Thanks for having me. The first major on the tennis calendar is here. Main draw action at the Australian Open gets underway Sunday night, our time in Melbourne. And here to preview the action is friend of the show, Mark Arndt, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba. Mark, I always feel this major kind of sneaks up on us, but it's a sure sign that tennis season is back. Tennis is back, and you're right, it did sneak up on us, and I just hope it didn't sneak up on the players, too, because this is where you can tell uh, who was doing their homework in the offseason during the Christmas break and who was, uh, who was not. So uh, that's why Australian Open's a fun tournament to watch because uh, – I think not only does it warm us here in Winnipeg, if you're watching on TV, you kind of feel warm, the warmth coming off the TV in Australia, but uh, it also shows us who's been, uh, I guess, uh, who's been uh, who's been playing, who's been working out, and then that's some big upsets happen at the Australian Open. One of the big stories heading into this tournament is the fires that are happening in Australia, not only because of the many donations that have been set up by tennis players. A lot of people have said, I'm going to donate X amount of dollars for every ace I hit at the Australian Open, but also the air quality affecting players at the Australian Open. There have been players complaining that they shouldn't have had to play certain qualifying matches at certain times of day. What is the, I guess, what is your reaction to this air quality story that has been a big part of the qualifying leading into this major? Yeah, I mean, to each his own, I guess everybody has their own opinion. There's some players that have complained and some that simply uh, didn't complain. They just, you know, just realize, you know, it's just a 
a way of life, and it's it's just part of one of the, uh, I guess, the obstacles of getting through to the next round. And it just depends what mindset you're in, and and depends on the personality and and, and things like that. So uh, I don't. I mean, yeah, it's not optimal. I, I get it, and I, I get there's some players that are. You know, complaining that the top players should be uh, should be doing more and, and voicing an opinion, but I mean, it's never going to be a perfect situation. You know, if it's it, the air quality is one thing, yeah, I, I get that. But at the same time, you know, you just got to deal with it and move on. I mean, you have a choice to deal with it or or not to, and then use it as an excuse why you haven't moved on to the next round. So, teach his own in the end of this, and uh, it's unfortunate. You know, I it's. it's a bit of a natural disaster that you have to deal with, and uh, sometimes you got to deal with things that you can't control. Now, Bianca Andreescu obviously burst onto the scene in 2019, but she's not a part of this tournament, and I think for a lot of Canadians, they're going to be disappointed in that, but there's still other Canadians to watch in this tournament for sure. Denis Shapovalov had a great finish to his 2019, and Felix Ogier-Aliassime both are seated on the men's side. Yeah, you know, and it is disappointing looking at the draw on the on the women's side and not to see a Canadian flag beside a a name is is a bit disappointing. Uh, Fernandez has a chance of uh, winning her last qualifying match tomorrow to get in, so that's our last hope on the female side of getting a a female player in on that side. But on the guys' side, yeah, it's healthy. I mean, between uh, between Felix and Dennis and and Milos, of course, is always a threat with his serve and that and. Uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, tough draws for all of them. I'm not saying I guess every match is a tough draw at that stage, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's uh, definitely I'm looking forward to see what the Canadians can do. And I know they've uh, they do definitely have the confidence. At least the young guys, they do have the confidence uh, going into the tournament. Felix is ranked uh, 20th, I believe. Shapovalov is 13th, and Milos is 32nd. And can't yeah. forget Vasek Pospisil, who pulled off a pretty big upset at the U.S. Open who is part of this draw as well. So yeah. it's it, yeah. it's still incredible. Every year we start the year at the Australian Open and you look at who the top three seeds are on the men's side and it's <laughs> any kind of rotation between Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. And even a couple years ago, the year I was in Australia, Nadal and jo- Federer played in the final. Neither were in the top three at that point, but they both made it to the final. It's it's something that we'll never see again, and we should probably not take this for granted. The fact that these three are still at the top of the game at 2020 in their mid 30s. It's it's you know I just smile and 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 you do have to applaud all three of them, especially the elder statesman uh, Federer, to do what they do at that level. I mean, you've hit a tennis ball, and and let alone just just doing that and and the physicality and and playing in the heat and dealing with the elements and things like that, and to do it. When you're well into your 30s, man, I'll just tell you, like it's just a testament to, to their training, to their lifestyle, to their commitment to the sport. And I, it, it's, you know, this is the year, this is the first year I feel maybe though that those next gen stars, as they call them, and I think this they really do have a, a real chance at this tournament. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say I'll be surprised, but I think one of them will break through and make it to the final against one of the top three. But again, it still might be in the end of it. The last, uh, the last two standing might still be one of those top three, and it's a good chance. I mean, Nadal's number one, see Djokovic too, and how can you bet against them until they lose? It's tough to bet against them. So, so you mentioned the next gen. I guess that would be you know, Daniil Medvedev is the fourth seed. Uh, Dominic Team is the five seed. Zverev is the seven seed. Berrettini is the eight seed, yeah. and Sitsipas is the six seed. He beat Federer en route to the semifinals last year down under. If you were to pick one of them to burst through, who would you think? 
Uh, so, so, so out of those, you know what? I actually like that there's another one, uh, Kachanov. Uh, he's he's one that he's just a little bit outside of that. I like him, but I tough call. You know what? I, I you, you toss back and forth. You know, Tsitsipas if he has has his head on right, if if the day's good, he's got the talent to do it. Uh, Medvedev too, but you saw U.S. Open. He had a few meltdowns, but those meltdowns seemed to to fuel his fire, and he kept on playing. So, out of those, team is is the one I think that's most steady. He's the most calmest, and and he has the right mind to uh, to make it and to win. And and I mean, he was close. He lost the French Open final, and and he's right there. So, I think team would be the one uh, that I would kind of lean on as far as next gen. I, I don't know how old is he now. I'm not sure if he's still considered a next gen star or not. I believe he still is, but team would be the one or Tsitsipas I might give him as an outsider because he's Greek and there's a huge Greek population there in Australia that goes and supports so they might get him get behind him and, and get him through a few tough uh, situations so team is 26 Tsitsipas is 21 so yeah. maybe team maybe team's not quite the next gen but you know he's 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 been kind of knocking at the door at least sitting on this front stoop for a few years now uh, just before we go to the women's side Mark from the Canadian standpoint, would we think that Shapovalov has the best chance to go on a run? Yeah, I mean, right now, just based on form and, and based on all the warm-up tournaments and all of that, I, I'd go with Shapovalov, and he has, um, he has some sort of a confidence that's that, that's going in as well that I haven't seen, and uh, I don't know if it's with his haircut now that he's got the shorter hair and he's a different style and all that, but uh, I like his coach that, that that's with him. I uh, that's that's Mikhail Yuzhny, who's a who was a vet, a long time vet on the tour. I think he settled him down a little bit, and uh, I, I think um, that's that's one of the factors of why he's been uh, he's been doing so well as of late. So I, I think yeah, going forward, and and I think Felix is a little bit nicked up, but. Uh, uh, out of the two, I think Shapo is is uh, he's healthier, and I I I would take him out of the uh, for for our best chance to win. Isn't usually most known for smashing a racket at its own face and bleeding. <laughs> Man, I like that you know all these facts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he did that. He got so mad at himself one time that he smashed his head open uh, uh, with his racket, with the strings, and uh, he was bleeding. And it just, I can't. That's funny. You make me laugh. By so he's the one. Up. He's the one that's going to be calming down, Dennis. Yes, he's he's grown yeah, as a is. person. Okay. <laughs> That does work. <laughs> yeah. So on the women's side, Serena just won a tournament, first tournament that she's actually won since giving birth to her daughter. She's the eighth seed, and even though she's not number one, that's Ash Barty, and Osaka's number three, and we have a lot of these players that have won majors, but they're not they're not Serena Williams, and I know she's not what she used to be, Carolina Pliskova, the second seed, but as long as she's playing, there's a feeling that she's the one to beat, right? Uh, it's for sure. I mean, just her... Uh... Her her reputation. Uh, she's got the locker the locker room power. I guess before they step on the court, they you know she has a, a couple games in in hand on on her opponent because of what she's done and just uh, just of who she is. So yeah, I, I still like right now and and kind of thinking you'd ask me the question. I yeah, she's still the favorite in my eyes. I don't care what she's seated and she was thirty eight or fifty eight, doesn't matter. She'd be ranked that. You'd still think, okay, she's going to come out and she's going to bring it. And she, she's that. Like, she doesn't do the smaller tournaments or, or things like that. Maybe just a couple warm-ups here and there. But she brings it on a big stage. And uh, um, she'd be the one. I, I'm Ash Barty, number one. That's great. I you know, she's, She is definitely number one in the world right now. But I think the pressure... 
being back home and all that, I don't know how she'll handle that. And uh, it's, I think the women's field is so wide open. I, Pliskova, you know, I don't know if she would make that. It, it, it's tough. It's so open. I think any one of 15, 16 of the, uh, of the females can, can win that. I was just going to ask you about Barty. She's Australian. She won the French Open. Uh, the, there's so many women that kind of went through the one-seed door over the last couple of years with Serena coming back from giving birth, and a lot of them have won majors. But do you think Barty has staying power, and how much pressure do you think is on her right now in Australia? Because she's the pretty much the best singles player they've maybe ever had. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, the pressure is, I guess, just depending on the person and uh, what she puts on herself. And then, you know, some say pre- pressure is a privilege and to be that uh, at that stage, you know, that 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 level, you know, it, it is a privilege to be that good and, and to have that. And and so we'll see how she deals with it. This is going to be her really, I think, her first true test after becoming a Grand Slam champion, going back home and uh you know, she's going to have, obviously, the crowd will be behind her, and we'll see how far that pushes her. And uh, I think she's mentally, she is a tough, uh, she's a tough one. And, and it, you know, I'll see her, I think that if everything is it works out accordingly, I think she will be there in the final four for sure. And uh, um, we'll see, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the one. If Williams doesn't win, I think Ash has actually a, a good chance of pulling through. And uh, her draw probably will open up, uh, just looking at it and, I think she'll have a good chance of pulling it off. Finally, Mark, what is your consumption habit of the Australian Open? Do you stay up late? Do you use the PVR? What do you do? A combination of both. So, yeah, you know what? It's uh, definitely the uh, the work. The two work weeks are uh, a little bit, you know, the, the, the schedule has shifted back a little bit more, and so later starts because uh, – yeah, I can say I'm doing my homework because I'm, I'm watching tennis and I'm, uh, you know, just doing research and things like that. So I can always say that, and it's true, but uh, definitely a combination of both, especially if the Canadians are playing. I'll try to catch it live, but, uh, you know, otherwise I'll just you know, wake up, shut off my phone, don't listen to any uh, any scores or watch anything and watch the matches. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun two weeks, but uh, I can live vicariously through the TV, I guess, or through those players just watching, and hopefully that warms us up here in, in in Winnipeg, as I said, Absolutely. Manitoba. Absolutely, Mark. Appreciate your time as always, and perhaps we'll check in after the tournament's through. Yeah, thanks again as always for having me. Mark Arndt, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba. Can't wait to spend the majority of my next two weeks watching tennis at weird hours. There are only three games left in the NFL season. There are four teams left. So let's get to the action. Championship weekend power parlay. Championship weekend. We knew that one of Philly and I would be happy and the other would, well, I don't know if happy is the right word. Happy that you're in it, but definitely now, Philly, 48 hours out or just under 48 hours now, you're probably super anxious to get this game here. I don't know about you, Christian, being a big Vikings fan. Sorry about your Vikes, by the way. And you know what? You crushed us. Yeah. I was. It was clear early on the Vikings had no chance. Smothered by a better team, I have no ill will towards the Niners. Okay, that's a good way to take it. I like it. Um, but, yeah, I get very stressed out. Like, I'm stressed right now about being stressed on Sunday. <laughs> and I, I said to you off air, I wish, I wish the game was sooner. I wish it hmm. was tomorrow afternoon. Now I, I have to wait all weekend. And the game doesn't start till around 5.30 on Sunday. 5.45, really. Like, yeah, so it, it's on, like, the Super Bowl schedule. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a long time to wait. 
but I'm excited. My, the, the Niners uh, went through some garbage years there after Jim Harbaugh, so it's mm-hmm. nice to see that they're back on track. So the last time the Vikings were in the NFC Championship game, they were the late game too. This was after the Minneapolis Miracle. And I expended a lot of energy watching the Jags almost beat the Patriots. And I was so angry that the Jags didn't pull it off. Yeah. And then the Vikings got their butts kicked. And it's like, oh, well, you know what? Okay. <laughs> so one of the games is usually good. Last year, we had two overtime games. We were spoiled in the mm. title round last year. Usually, we get at least one classic. The question is, what will it be this year? We start with the AFC, which is the first game. Yep. 2.05 p.m. kickoff. And that is Kansas City against Tennessee. And I played it on my show earlier this week, a montage of me getting all four picks wrong last week. <laughs> As a collective, we weren't much better. No, the yeah. Two of you, and we should say, the reason you haven't heard Joe yet is because Joe isn't here, but yeah. we'll, he's got, he sent in his picks. You guys had the Niners to cover. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Joe had Tennessee to cover. We had Baltimore. We were very wrong there. Oh my gosh, were we wrong. We all had Houston and it looked early on. At least we got that one right. They were up 24. I was like, okay, I don't care what happens. Kansas City almost covered by halftime. I'm like, Houston's going to at least cover here. How do you not when you're up by 24? And it became, again, apparent very quickly that they were just going to score touchdowns at will. Mm -hmm. And that game was over at the half. It was over. And the second half wasn't very good. And then the final game we thought would be the best game. Yeah. And it was. Green Bay wins by five. The spread was four. It's as simple as a conversion on a two-point convert. And yeah. Get, that's gambling for you. Yeah, Russell right. Wilson needed another quarter to f- complete his comeback. Joe did say Green Bay on the money line. Yeah. So, to, I think Joe had the best week last week of yeah. all of us. <laughs> I had the worst week, and my team lost. So, we got two games. We got Tennessee at Kansas City, minus, or plus seven and a half for Tennessee. And then, is the n- not number still seven and a half for San Fran as well? It is, yeah. Okay, so, touchdown, and then you got the hook on both of them. Tricky lines mm-hmm. for this week, Philly. Let's start with the AFC. Tennessee ran all over Baltimore. Baltimore racked up a ton of yards, but couldn't finish drives. Uh-huh. Mark Jackson panicked a little bit in the pressure. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, when his team was down, did not panic. Yeah, Rallied back. It looked like a classic Andy Reid choke job. It wasn't. So the questions are, can Kansas City do anything to stop Derrick Henry? And if Kansas City gets a lead, can Tennessee come from behind? Yeah. I, I, uh, one thing I've learned watching a lot of football over the years, when you get down to this time of year, always, no matter how unglamorous it is, go, go, is unglamorous a word? I'd say. Okay. Uh, we're I'd talking football, that. so who cares? No, you're right. But take the more physical team when you get to playoff football. And I look at the Titans, and they are everything you need in the playoffs. Every week I go, ah, Tannehill's not good enough. They are physical. They will beat you up. They'll win the line of scrimmage, and they have the best running back in football who is bigger than everybody. And he's on an unprecedented run right yeah. now. And they just have a feel about them, the Titans. Like, okay. that, that, that they don't care about Kansas City's passing game. They don't care uh, about Mahomes. They're coming to beat you up, schoolyard style. I like the Titans to cover. I have a... F- I, I have a feeling they're going to win the game, but we're, I'm just I'm just going with the spread here. They're going to cover that spread. Okay, Joe agrees with you. Okay, by the way, oh Joe, that's good. He's Joe been says, doing. Yeah. Joe says Tennessee will cover. Both of the games are rematches of games we saw earlier this season. Tennessee beat Kansas City by three on a really weird, weird game. It was Mahomes' first game back from his injury, and I just have a feeling about this Chiefs team. That was their wake up call last week. Yeah. 
they're not going to score 51 on Sunday. This feeling, this game is either going to be Kansas City loses or Kansas City wins by 25, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be the dissenting vote. The consensus still picks Tennessee. But I think Kansas City will romp here. I think they'll get up early. They'll force Tannehill to have to make plays, <laughs> and he won't be able to. And he won't be able to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. I think maybe like a 30, 31 to seventeen win for Kansas City. This could be Andy Reid's best chance to ever win a Super Bowl. I'd say so. And what I like about your pick is Mahomes is going to get to some Super Bowls in his career. I think that that you is too. that right. <laughs> but if, any, yeah. if you're going to look oh, yeah. back, and and this is an opportunity to get to his first. So the, that was, you know, the things that weigh in your mind when making a pick. That what you're saying right now is, is one of the things that where I was tempted to There's take KC. There's an argument for both, and that's yeah. one of the beauties of the playoffs, right? There is out of the four teams left, mm-hmm. and they could all do it. We've seen six seeds have runs to the title, and we've seen them completely hit a wall in the title game. I remember the Jets teams from uh, 10 years ago yeah. when they went to the title game back-to-back years with Mark Sanchez. Ryan Tannehill much different than Mark Sanchez? Because they were physical <laughs> and they played good defense, but eventually you need some offense. and Yeah, and we'll they got see. beaten by Manning one year and Roethlisberger the other, so... We go to the closet of anxiety that is the <laughs> NFC title game. The Niners on Grey Cup Sunday, and a lot of people might not remember this because it was Grey Cup Sunday, but the Sunday night football game that day was Niners crushing the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, they manhandled Most people in this market probably didn't see it because mm-hmm. they were watching the Bombers win the Grey Cup. A great day that was for Winnipeg. Yes, and a good day for Philly because yeah. the Niners also crushed the Packers. 37-8 to was the final score in that one. The Packers, I don't think they've lost since. The Niners have been a lot of crazy games. They looked great last week. The pa- Aaron Rodgers looked really good last mm-hmm. week, but Green Bay also did that thing they do where they get a big lead and then barely hold on. Seven and a half again is the number. How are you feeling, Philly? Niners are going to win. I, uh, You know, a lot of the things I said about the Titans uh, can be said about the 49ers too. They're physical. They're, they're, they're very... They're tougher than the Packers at the line of scrimmage. And old school football guys will say you win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, you're going to win the game. They're most certainly capable of winning both both sides of the line of scrimmage San Francisco is. In fact, I'd say they're going to. That's a given. They're very good against immobile quarterbacks. Rodgers is, I wouldn't call Rodgers immobile, but he's certainly not Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson. Or what he used to be with That's his right. legs. So they know where he's going to be in the pocket. They're good when they play teams like that. And I, to me, the Packers in that second half against Seattle almost looked like like starting a sputter. Like mm-hmm. they were running out of gas. And if if you're running That's out of gas. That's their M.O., though. They, get, they have great first halves and then just kind of struggle to keep it going. Yeah. But I, I think it's done. I think the gig is up. And, and I've heard some people say, no way you're going to beat Aaron Rodgers twice. Aaron Rodgers is great. His legacy is safe. It's, it's not about Rodgers versus... It's about the two teams. And right. the 49ers, to me, and I know they're my team, but they're just a better team. Last Friday, didn't you have the Joe Montana jersey out? I did. Oh, I got I got a Garoppolo t-shirt today. Okay. Not yeah. going quite as hard. No. <laughs> so, uh, Packers will cover. Okay. But the 49ers are going to win. Okay. Joe has Niners to cover. Oh, wow. Good. So, he thinks it's going to be a comfortable win for the Niners. Green Bay has one receiver. A great receiver, Devontae Adams. But look last week. The Vikings, who have two great receivers, Diggs and Thielen, nothing. Yeah. They had nothing. Now, the Vikings, to be fair, looked tired. Mm-hmm. It looked like they had kind of blown it on the Super Bowl that was the New Orleans game for them. Yeah. And they just had nothing left. They could not protect Kirk Cousins whatsoever. That offensive line was crushed by the Niners' front. 
you mentioned this last week, the Niners' defense is getting healthy. Mm-hmm. Having a number Tart back, Alexander back, yeah, made a huge difference. D Ford had mm-hmm. an impact. Yeah, absolutely. So I think they could fluster Aaron Rodgers into throwing a couple picks in this game. As much as I think this this could be, you know, Rodgers' last chance to, to win a Super Bowl. And he knows it. Kind of like I, John Elway, late 90s yeah, type. You, you can smell it in Rodgers' interviews, that focus. Like, he really wants this, which is scary for the other team. But Rodgers on the road in the playoffs has never been very good. Mm-hmm. So the consensus is, is, is up to me here. Yeah. Because we got Niners to win but not cover, and then Niners to cover. My gut all week has been Green Bay uh, to maybe even win this game. But I hate the Packers so much, <laughs> and I'm going with my heart here. But I want to see the Niners steamroll the Packers, <laughs> crush them, rip their hearts out. So I'm going to go with the Niners to cover the 7.5. I want it to be a blowout mm-hmm. for your sake and for yeah. the sake of all the Packers fans that I'd. I, I, they're good people, for my, but for, I don't like their team. That's right. For my stress level, oh, I hope it's a blowout. That would be so nice. Yeah, if it's like 24 to you, you, Let's be honest. You won't be able to relax till the game's over. I'm just glad it's I'll say it again. I'm glad it's not Russell Wilson. Because when 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 you're playing Russell Wilson, mm, you yeah. could be you could be up by 67. And it always feels Green like Green Bay last week for the first time only because I knew San Francisco would have an easier time beating Green Bay. Oh, they would Seattle. Interesting. Okay. So we will uh, take next week off. We will recover from whatever happens here yeah. and we'll put our money together for a big time Super Bowl preview that maybe just maybe. Oh, I hope so. Includes Jimmy G and the Niners. Thanks, yeah. Willie. Thank you. All right, the power parlay has spoken. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?